Trigger warning. Content discussed in this episode may be inappropriate and or triggering for some listeners. Topics may include violence, death, child loss, sexual assault, abuse, pregnancy loss, abortion, miscarriage, and other things that might be upsetting. Okay, here we go. I'm recording this. Okay. Okay, welcome back. This is Expecting with Kate Miller and Jackie McGranahan. And we are a true crime podcast for the post-Roe world, even though technically we are still pre-Roe being gone. Well, we don't know when this will be released. We have no idea. But what is new about us is we are now Ah! tatted with Queen Anne's Lace. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about my mom hearing this because she did already know I got the tattoo and she listened to last week's episode and she really liked you. She thought I was a little preachy. (laughs) So that's the feedback. Um, But she thought you were great. She really liked your stories. And um, who wants to go first, me or you? Well, I'm selfish, so maybe I could go first. Okay, go. My story this week is a little different. It's a little different. I like that. I like different. Yes. So it definitely very much so relates to the post-Roe world. But this, my story is a different, we're taking a different angle. And this is the story of Melissa Drexler, also known as the prom mom. And did you go to prom, Jackie? (laughs) I did. (laughs) I did. I did. And um, it was, prom was different. What do you mean? Well, myself being a black woman, I'm biracial. My mom is white. My dad is black. But I graduated high school in 1996. So for dances, there were a lot of, there was a lot of, interracial dating Mm -hmm. I guess we'll call it Mm -hmm. that but only it wasn't it wasn't until around the 2000s that dating black women for white men became like ooh, that's a thing Mm -hmm. well if it was a thing it definitely wasn't a thing at my high school Mm -hmm. so for even if let's say black dudes dated white chicks they weren't really going to prom together. It was like on the DL. Yes, it was definitely on the DL. And sometimes there were, it did happen. I'm not saying that it never happened because it did. I knew of instances like the couples that our group went to prom with. Um, two of those people went to prom, two white chicks went to prom with black dudes Mm -hmm. but one of them it was a problem for her family really yeah yeah and um but mostly you would go to prom with people that we wouldn't didn't we would go to prom with both of the times I went to prom it wasn't with people that I dated Mm -hmm. it was with (laughs) black dudes that I knew and grew up with who were like uh we're gonna go yeah because I can't take the person I really want to take, so I guess you'll work, Because of racism? Yeah. So you were the fill-in a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, it's good. Okay, well, it wasn't as bad as this prom story. Oh. And there's your transition. Yeah. Well, 
okay, so Melissa Drexler, she is, she was, the reason that this story is really touching is for a lot of reasons. For one, um, this happened at the same, this happened around the same time. And as when your prom was? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is not the same year, probably closer to yours, mm-hmm. but around the same time. So Melissa Drexler is, she is a teenage, your average teenager in New Jersey. She's a high school student. Um, she has a long-term boyfriend. She wants to be a fashion designer like Donna Karen. Um, and... She comes from a typical middle-class family. Nothing abnormal about Melissa except for Melissa's pregnant. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Melissa's pregnant. And um, she is, she's is. she been carrying her baby the entire time, but she's not telling anyone. And we'll get so into... So does she know she's pregnant? We'll get into that. Okay. We're going to, we're going to circle back to that because this is a, it's a whole, I've learned a whole thing about this, Mm -hmm. but Jennifer's water broke that day, but she's not told on on the day of prom. She's told no one about her pregnancy and also even her boyfriend, like she tells him in the beginning, Mm -hmm. like the only thing that people get about this is that it gets out that she's pregnant in the beginning, but he thinks she has an abortion, da, 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 whole things. It's not talked about again. So, so he assumes it's been taken care of. The pregnancy is no longer, whether she terminated or there was a miscarriage or he's, yeah, he's not thinking that she's still pregnant. Yeah. So her water breaks that morning. And so, all throughout the day, while she's getting ready for prom, did you? Dude, what was okay? Tell me, say, explain your first. Explain what your prom day was, and then what your water. Okay, so was. I'm not going to explain prom day because I don't really remember. I do remember. Did that you a, not get your no, hair done? Um, we got our or? hair done, and a bunch of the girls that are my friends that went to prom went to prom with dudes who were old enough to go to the bar in the hotel where the prom took place and drink, which is like not cool. What? Actually, I know. And actually, I, I have even more. Did, Kate went to an all-girl. I went to an all-girl school. Catholic yeah. school. Okay. So, but water breaking in every goddamn movie out there, there's this big scene where the water breaks and it flushes out and then it's done. <laughs> and that's not how water breaking is. Did your water break with any? My water was broken except for Calfani, but go ahead. Okay, so the water broke for me, for Hattie... I was laying in bed reading about that movie Midsummer, which I was obsessed with. I know. And I think I w- it was so disturbing just reading about it that it made my water break. And then your water leaks out of you the whole rest of the day or whatever that liquid is. Like you're, the whole day you've got pads in, your underwear's wet, your pants are wet. Like it's not, it's not, for me at least, a quick experience. So if you had your water break on prom day, I would think like that whole day when you're getting ready and doing all that stuff, like you're, there's liquid dripping out of your vagina. Oh, without question. Yeah. It's, I'm sure this day is very traumatic for Melissa. So she's, she's in labor all day and she's having labor pains, but she can't share this with anyone. 
You know, this is something that she's going through completely alone. Oh, my God. And um, and to get into some of some of the things that what's going on psychologically, this was the meat and potatoes of when I was researching this story. There's this whole concept and it's called not not a concept I was looking at this at the NCBL some type of psychiatric website but it's a denial of pregnancy this this is very common this happens in roughly around one in every 475 births up to 20 weeks you know like that they're denying pregnancy up to 20 weeks and one in 2500 persist until delivery oh my god so she's not this isn't a fluke this is a whole thing and there are a variety of forms of denial of pregnancy and this is like a red flag that they're that should trigger like a psychiatric assessment yeah you know and like there's a chemical imbalance or something occurring there's something happening for some people that necessary emotional adaptation it's just not possible Mm -hmm. and what's happening is that they're developing this maladaptive coping mechanism and we all deny shit we all do that i don't i've never denied anything it's human you know it's human nature to just be like oh that's not happening yeah (laughs) but seeing it at this level and the fact that she kept it to herself as opposed to you know most pregnancies like you're talking about it so you wouldn't have had the opportunity to i mean you couldn't deny it there's different stages and there's different kinds. You know, there's full awareness. Like, I know I'm pregnant, but I'm concealing it. Like, I can't tell anyone. And that's Is that going, what she was doing? Was she intentionally concealing it? And I don't know what her diagnosis was, but most folks where this situation is happening, there's some level. And, and knowing and understanding this... Like this was happening. Yeah, this was some level of this was happening. No one knew that she was pregnant, so at some point she was denying. Yeah. Okay. And there's a, there's a. You can have suspicion of pregnancy, but I'm not going to get emotionally involved to make it real, or full denial. Like I don't know I'm pregnant. I don't. You know. And that's the more, um, the most extreme. And there's no clear cut type of person that this is happening to you know it's just and you can in the another people can oscillate between an open acknowledgement of their pregnancy to full-blown denial and back and forth oh, weird. you know like they're they can get better and then go right back to it so and most of the time you're going to reconstitute after delivery like you deliver your baby and everything is fine and everything is going back really? to Really? Yeah. It's, this is something that's happening during pregnancy. And there's pervasive, where there's no emotional, ex- ex- no emotional significance, but the very existence of pregnancy is kept from awareness. That is like, it, you cannot, you cannot. And effective, it. when a person is intellectually aware, but makes little emotional or physical preparation for the baby. And 
I feel they like can't I was anyone. borderline that. Well, no, I did tell everyone. But like I did not I understood it's a whole intellectually process. there was a child. Like I understood I was pregnant, but I just couldn't fathom it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. It's it's a it's not easy for people there it's not easy for people to get through. And that's the most common. And then there's persistent. And that's they discover they're pregnant in the third trimester and they fail to seek any type of care. And what happens most often is there are really poor outcomes for these for yeah, these po- that makes sense. folks. And this is not always ending up with someone with a homicide. This right. doesn't it doesn't always end that Obviously, way. Obviously that's gotta be but, more rare. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we don't you know, we're not knowing about I never knew that this that this existed no, like this is a that a diagnosis. No, I didn't. But there's increased incidence of unassisted delivery. A lot of these people are having a baby all alone. Ugh. And that's completely heartbreak heartbreaking and that creates a high probability for catastrophic outcomes. And when you look at this crap, it's all boiling back to Look at all the shame that comes with what's the worst thing that can happen to you when you're a teenager? If you accidentally murder someone. But according to society <laughs> yeah, get or pregnant. your family. Get pregnant. Oh, heaven forbid. Yeah. My or have child a drunk driving pregnant. accident, I feel like. But getting yeah. pregnant, yeah. You know, like that's the. Girls in my school, if you, I swear, if you couldn't fit in your, once you couldn't fit in your skirt, you got sent away to like a different. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that I knew someone that once she got too, her belly got too big for her skirt, she got sent away. So, and it's, but that's, that's what's playing into this. So when Jennifer's or Melissa, Melissa's water broke, she's at the prom, she's getting ready for prom. She goes to prom. She gets to the dance with all of her friends. She's in full blown labor. She is in labor and she has this. She's aware of the pregnancy, but she's concealing it, you know, and she's not telling ever anyone this. So this is a journey that she is going on completely alone. Oh, my God. Completely alone. And she goes into the high school bathroom. She gives birth on the toilet. Her baby goes into garbage bags. She cuts the umbilical cord with, you know, the serrated edge of where you throw your pads and tampons away. She cuts the umbilical cord there and just puts the baby into garbage bags. Oh, my God. Drops it in there. Because this, and and you have to remember, this isn't She real. is like in an out-of-body experience. Yes, like yeah. that denial is so severe that this isn't happening. This isn't a real thing that's happening to her. Oh, this my isn't, God. She is not computing. Like, her brain is broke in this moment that this is happening. This is a real thing. Like, all of that is gone. It's gone. Yeah. It and would have to be. It would know, absolutely have to be. No one who's in, like, a, a funk, like, a no, no one, for lack of a better word, in their right mind would be no. able to do that. No. No. And it's that shame is, and I know you are a Brene Brown lover. Oh, of like course. Yeah, we all are. And... The things that shame does to your brain wow. and your body. Yeah. And that when you focus by, back into what's the worst thing that can happen when you're a teenager. Yeah. And it's getting pregnant. Yeah. Don't, don't let that happen. 
And, you know, and everyone says, oh, we're going to stand beside you or we're going to be there with you through all your, no matter what you go through. But once, when you are a teenage mom, it's different. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine it. When I was, I had three children. I had all, I had three children by the time I was 22. I had three small kids. And looking back on it now, I'm 44 You know, all of my children are grown. You know, I have grandchildren at this time. And my life is, it's pretty chill, honestly. I was going to say stable. It's pretty chill. It's pretty stable. My kids are, I can go wherever I want to. I can go wherever I want to and do whatever I want. Yeah. It's obvious. And I watch a lot of my kids, my friends, Mm -hmm. they have small children. A lot, a lot of them do. Or at least like. Kids who are still in school, mm-hmm. and I'm not having that same problem. Things are different, but regardless, they're, I'm not shaming them. I'm not. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm not doing the same thing, the same things to these people that a lot of folks did to me. I was going to ask you: Do you feel like you experienced that since oh, you were such wow. a young mom? Consistently, like people judging consistently. you consistently, consistently. It's a it's a very 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 hard road. And when I was a young mom, it was not by any means easy. Me and my kids, whoa, we had a time. Yeah. <laughs> we had a time. Well, I was learning with them. Yeah, I can remember. Miles was my oldest, and I remember like carrying Calfani, and Miles would be, he was four years old, and I'm like, can you get the diaper bag? You see my hands are full. You know, like, I can't do all this on my own. I really need your assistance. But all of these things made them into the little people that they are. Yeah. Miles is the most responsible little human that there is. You know, and Calfani being my youngest, he's just a funny, sweet human being, and my Malika she she's me yeah she's like she's your, me you're like her sister yes she's me she she wanted to have children early and that was a choice that she had and one of my favorite things about her was she got pregnant while she was in high school she not for one second did she feel any type of shame she told us around christmas time as a present like <laughs> hey i'm pregnant this is great news she never gave us a chance to say oh Maybe we shouldn't do this or did it, you know, and I had all of, all of those feelings just because I'd never wanted her to feel any of the hurt or negative experiences that I had. Mm-hmm. And she was just, no, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care. Yeah. And which is obviously a very different situation than what Melissa's going through. So different. So different. And Melissa. So what happens after she. She is she go back to the dance. Yeah, she went back to the dance. The janitor goes in the. She's so her friends keep coming in the restroom to check on her. Yeah, they're like, "What's going on? You've been in here." Yeah, but it took her around twenty minutes, which is in itself. I mean, I wonder what fucking the, are you the kidding size me? Size of the are you kidding? Baby me? was twenty. Uh, it from the reports that I read, it was a normal size baby. Holy, twenty minutes like that Out. quickly. Okay. And then she gets out. She cleans herself up, but there's blood everywhere. Yeah, of she course. She delivered a baby in yeah. the stall. Yeah. You know, the janitors go in there to clean it up. She, and what was said, this was a big part of their, because, you know, she was called the prom mom. Yeah. And she goes back out. She requests the song Unforgiven by Metallica. What? On the, from the DJ. And she starts, she just hits the dance floor. 
Yeah. So the janitors go in. They find it because they lift up the trash and they're like, wait. Yeah, this something's is not wrong. Something's yeah. in here. And they find the baby. They do several things to try to resuscitate the baby. And to no avail. Oh, the baby dies. Oh, God. And it's, it's awful. Oh. But so she ends up. Um, she ends up get, be, getting arrested that right. night. I mean, they, pretty easily. They're like, yeah. wait, did that girl just request a Metallica song? And they were like, we should they probably talk to her. easily figured out that it was her and what was going on. And August 20th, 1998, she's conv- she pleads guilty to manslaughter. And it's a really, really tragic, just... It's it's tragic for so many reasons. For so many. Is she reasons. still in prison? Do you know? No, she ended up. She got fifteen years. She got fifteen years. But what is so fate? What is fate? Is that right before three days before after she pleads guilty, they pass the No Early Release Act. And so she's conv- she gets 15 years. Three days later, they pass the No Early Release Act. She's is sentenced to 15 years, but she only ends up serving three before oh, she's paroled. Oh, wow. Which, honestly, is... it That feels right. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, without... We don't know all the details, but, like... I just think that someone in that situation is going through something that isn't going to be uh, remedied by incarceration. Mm-mm. No, no. Absolutely. So do she you know any more about her life? Like, do you know what she did after she got out? So what, what was really at the trial, a statement that Melissa made in court was, I knew I was pregnant. I concealed the pregnancy from everyone. On the morning of my prom, my water broke. While I was in the car on the way to prom, I began to have cramps. I went to the prom. I went into the bathroom and I delivered the baby. The baby was born alive. I knowingly took the baby out of the toilet and wrapped a series of garbage bags around the baby. I then placed the baby in another garbage bag, knotted it closed, and threw it in the trash can. I was aware of what I was doing at the time when I placed the baby into the bag, and I was further aware that what I did would most certainly result in the death of the baby. And now she says all of those things, but remember what I said about intellectual awareness? Right, That it's, you concealed this pregnancy from everyone. She wasn't concealing this pregnancy with the, in her mind, I'm going to kill this baby. You know, that... It wasn't ever like a conscious decision she was making. Yes. It was just like moment by moment she was living in a world where she wasn't pregnant in her brain. Yes. And I think the state, the judge in this case had some, it was, he said, because she was getting at this time, she was prom mom. She was the wire. There was a cover of People magazine. Oh my God. Oh my god. And it says kids without a conscience. Wait, which one's the prom mom? Not oh yeah. You know, and it's just they're they're jerks. Yeah. But anyway, what the judge said was really he said, What motivates a mother to do something like this? I leave to the experts to debate. But the law's concern that a very precious, helpless life has been taken 
The taking of every life demands accountability. The victim here, only minutes old, has as much right to life as any of us. Mm. Forgiveness should never displace responsibility, and compassion should not displace accountability. She is not a monster. She is not someone to be gawked at, to be vilified by the public and the media. She is entitled to our understanding, our compassion, and our prayers. Oh, my God. Wow. That judge for Supreme Court of the United States of America. Right? Because it's so much easier to judge people. So and it's, easy. it's entertaining. I mean, that's what it it's is. on the cover of people. It is. This was, it was, it was, this is gossip and this is funny and I don't want to look into what are the psychological effects of doing something like this. How will this play a role in what what her life has been leading up to this, what it will be. Yeah. And all the things in between. And but. also it just further contributes to the narrative of like ostracizing and stigmatizing people. I mean like the bigger issue. We have to issue. stop yeah. shaming teenage moms. I agree. That's our next podcast. It's called Stop Shaming Teenage Moms. Okay. So I don't have a good transition to my story. Just hit it. Okay. So I'm going to talk about the murder of Evelyn Fernandez and the presumed murder of her sweet baby her sweet five-year-old son Alexis and her unborn baby who she was going to name Fernando so Evelyn Fernandez was 24 years old she lived in the San Francisco area and this was I think around 2002 She had migrated to the United States when she was just 14 years old, along with her mother, and she migrated from El Salvador, and she was uh, lawfully present. She had immigration papers, but I do think her status as an immigrant is, is relevant to her vulnerability, so we'll talk more about that. Ellen Fernandez, uh... I, have you ever heard the of this story before of her story? So she was no, I haven't. Uh, days away from giving birth when she went missing. So as I said, she lived in San Francisco. She had moved to the United States when she was 14. She had moved to the San Francisco area. She attended high school, graduated high school. She worked a number of different jobs while also going to school and also being a single parent. Because again, when she was in high school, this seems to be a theme. She also um, got pregnant and had a child. And that child was Alexis, who often goes by Alex. So she... um, was a single parent because Alex's dad had joined the Navy and really wasn't a part of their life whatsoever by all accounts. And they weren't together or they were together when she, when she got pregnant and then he he left her. Yeah. So she is very common. I mean, I just can't imagine like uh, going to school and working and being a parent. Like I know lots of people do it, but it seems excruciating. And how many people, especially people that single parents, when it comes down to when I was a single parent, the the most difficult thing, it, the most difficult part of my life was childcare, so I could go to work. I was a bartender because I could make the most money and work the least amount of hours. Yeah, and I would pay because after a certain amount of time, even when your family is helping you to 
to watch your kids, you still have to pay the money. Yeah. You know, my sister was watching my kids for me or, and my mom every single day, every day. It's like, okay, I have to go to work, so I need your help. And it's... It's it, impossible. It's so yes. hard. And there's and no even, support. There's no support. We don't have no. any public, like there is public investment in childcare, but not the way that it should be. And it's, it's an, absolutely it's absurd. An yeah. It's an yeah. eight. I can exactly. get childcare assistance, but I could only get it for certain hours. Yep. And what happens when you work in the evening? I know bigger cities have like nighttime childcare, but that is not they something didn't have that, that in it, Ashland, Kentucky no. or Frankfurt, Kentucky. <laughs> no. I don't even know if they have it in Louisville. It's, it's abhorrent. It's, it's, and even like, I mean, I'm a pretty privileged person and my, we can, that's why I only have one kid or intend to only have one kid. I, I don't, I could not afford to do daycare for two. It's ridiculous. So, um, so Evelyn was a single mom. She was young, but she was making it work. She was hustling. Mm-hmm. She became a nurse, which wow. is a huge achievement. And, um, so, you know, they were doing well. She met a man, another man. Uh, his name was Herman, Herman Aguilera. She was around 23 when they met, I think. And he was 36. Which, like, I know a lot of couples, like, my parents have a 10-year age gap. But, like, the person I was at 23 relative to the person I was at 36, I, it, totally different people. And I think it does present opportunities for exploitation. So, anyways... Yeah. He's 36. You think? Yeah, exactly. They're dating. I had, I had a boyfriend when I was in high school. Oh, no. <laughs> Listen, I was 16. He was 23. Oh, uh, what a douche. Yeah. Oh, and it was, I had to keep it a secret because, w- listen, when I tell you my mother hated this man obviously and the way he would get my attention is he would drive around my block and he had you know like a bass yeah in his car yeah and he'd turn it up really loud so i could hear it oh my god and then if my mom was there and she would hear it she'd run outside fuck you good yeah Devana. (laughs) yeah go for him she fought him on several occasions not like once or twice like Like physically fought fought them yes how she fought she physically fought him. She got in a huge bar fight with him. And my stepdad, one one time, she tells my stepdad, this is how much of a badass my mom is. She tells him, go get the car. Pull the car around because I'm about to whoop his ass real quick. <laughs> you go get the car. And my stepdad, who's a nice-sized man, is like, "I, you got this. I'll go get the car. And she proceeded to bust a beer bottle and let's get it going kicks his fucking ass in the middle of this nightclub in ash but this was like several mm-hmm. several instances and it was for years fight him on site yeah to that where guy's a creepy this- loser <laughs> but at 16 i couldn't see that no no you think it's cool yeah you think it's so cool especially because yeah. he can buy you alcohol and I, i'm in love i'm in love i used to i was never in love with anyone it's like nobody ever paid to attention to me boys to men those are good. I mean, and, and I can't imagine like as a grown person, like it wasn't like okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's different maturity levels, here. right? I mean, it's okay. So, so go keep going. Anyways, obviously, Evelyn really needed a, 
your mom in her life. Her mm -hmm. mom was also foreign born from El Salvador. And at some point her mom did return to El Salvador. So I don't think her mom was even living in the United States at the time. Evelyn had two sisters, but I get the feeling that I don't, we don't know a lot about her support system. So I don't know that she had a lot of people in her life. At some point she gets pregnant by Herman and around this time, she suspects that Herman is not faithful to her. And she calls Herman's mom, which is very interesting because I'm like, did she have his mom's number already? I'm not quite sure. She calls Herman's mom and Herman's mom tells her or confirms her suspicions that Herman is married to another woman. The entire time that Herman and Evelyn have been dating and that Evelyn, from all accounts, believes like she's in a relationship with him. The entire time, Herman is married to another woman. Herman so, seems like a fucking ass. And Herman's just out there in the world, living his life somewhere. We'll talk about it. So Herman, um, again, by all accounts, does not want this baby, is angry with Evelyn for getting pregnant, as if we control our goddamn, you know, fallopian tubes and uterus and whatever other machinery is, is maintaining pregnancies. And um, so that's the situation we're in. May 1st is the last day that anyone talks to Evelyn. She drops her five-year-old baby off at, uh, I think, kindergarten that morning. And she runs some errands get some items for a baby shower, which is also interesting because normally baby showers are way earlier. But anyway, she gets some items for a baby shower that her sister's going to have. She talks, she picks up her baby from school. Uh, they, you know, like, I don't know what else they did that day, but later that night she does have a conversation with her sister on the phone. And that's the last anyone hears from her. That's May 1st. On May 7th, Herman... Uh, reports her missing which is also weird and it's another reason why I think that like she must not have had a good support system so for a week almost there's where no is, activity where's Alexis he's not at school he's there's no activity on her credit card like there's no activity in any other sort of way that they could see he's not in school he's not showing up she already was not working i think she had some complications related to her pregnancy so i think you know and shit i mean her due date was may 7th that was her due date when herman so, called in the report of her missing herman calls in this report and then once herman calls in this report Tell me this, this is when there's the big search party. Of course not, right? Yeah. So police do what you often hear in these true crime stories. Oh, she probably, you know, like it's not, there's no reason to suspect foul play yet. And have you ever noticed this is a common theme in BIPOC? Wait BIPOC a second. Families. Wait, you, hold on. Are you saying, are you, what are you getting at, Jackie K? Are you saying there's. There's racism? Oh, there's some know. racial That's a pretty wild accusation. Because when this was Lacey Peterson. Oh, just wait. Just wait. We'll get they, to that. I mean. Yeah. So this is, um, you see the writing on the wall. So there, at this point, there's no reason to suspect foul play in spite of the fact that her son's been gone, that she's about to give birth. 
You cannot just fly around the country. They can't. It's not like you can travel. So she. um, And I can't imagine how important I'm sure that it was for her baby to be born in the United States. The same as Alexis. Yeah. And also she had an OBGYN. She had her bag packed. You know, the hospital bag. She had her bag packed by the door of her of her home. They, someone finds a wallet. It's got her ID. It's got cash. It's got a check written out to her. And they find that wallet, I think in a, like near a gas station, you know, somewhere outside. And it's uh, right by where, oh, where Herman works. It's right by where Herman works. What a coincidence. Yeah, it's a strange coincidence. So um, now he has an alibi. His wife said is, he was is home. Is his wife his alibi? Yeah. Of course. His wife says he's home the entire night. And um, that's that's sort of the, you know, there's not a lot more. Jackie's eating banana pudding right now. It's actually technically my banana pudding. <laughs> but that's all right. So. I feel like you forfeited. Um, On July 24th. Uh, her remains are found uh, in the San Francisco Bay. They've never found any remains of Alexis, her five-year-old. And they've never found any remains of Fernando, her unborn baby. Uh, as you said, Jackie, this was around the same time as Lacey Peterson. And, like, I could tell you details about Lacey Peter about what Scott Peterson's boat looked like. You know what I mean? And I didn't know anything about Evelyn. And the reason why Evelyn sort of even got attention then was because there was a claim made, I think by Scott Peter, like someone in Scott Peterson's defense that like perhaps there was a connection between the two deaths, but there's not really any evidence of that. So, um, it's, it's, it, there's so many different parts of Evelyn's story where you're like, it's easy to focus on Herman. Herman's a, 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 a monster, in my opinion. It seems very likely. Without, without question. Right. Like, even but if he didn't. Evelyn. That's, exactly. Evelyn was let down. Yeah. By everyone. A system that was meant to, that was designed, allegedly, to protect her. So, um, Evelyn... Of course, did not get any attention. Even in the San Francisco newspaper, there were a small, you know, handful of articles written about her, none of which were on the front page, as opposed to Lacey Peterson. What also is interesting, I think, in regards to her immigration status, is a lot of times individuals who are foreign-born, even people who have papers, are fearful of reaching out to law enforcement for lots of reasons. I mean, lots of people of color are fearful of reaching out to law enforcement for lots of reasons, including potential violence, potential sexual assault. Um, On top of the fact that tons of people are in families or have relationships with folks who are undocumented, and if you call as a foreign-born person and the police show up and they see that there's someone there without papers, they could easily take that person into custody, which is basically a civil death sentence. I mean, you're, if you get deported, like that's permanent separation from your family. And that living with that type of fear, consistent fear. It's, I, it, I know. I barely can even scratch the surface. And knowing that this system isn't, doesn't protect you. Exactly. It doesn't protect exactly. you. And the, 
I mean, the whole system has been set up in a way where we're made to think that if someone commits a murder or if someone commits a serious crime, you know, they're going to be taken into custody. They're going to be sentenced and that's going to reduce the likelihood of violence in the future. But that's not what the data shows us. I think it's because I think you and I both have a, a shared belief not that for BIPOC people and not, not. Yeah, exactly. And just generally like the systems that we have in place aren't working. Something like six in 10 homicides are actually uh, cleared, like the cases are actually closed. So it's a pretty small, relatively small volume. And that's only of homicides that are reported, which a ton of agencies in the U.S. don't report it. And guess what, Jackie? Oh, guess what? You're far more likely to have a case closed if you're white, right? Like, of course, obviously. So on top of that, even in jurisdictions... There was a New York Times article, even in jurisdictions where there's a high likelihood of closing a case, there's actually not even some sort of measurable impact on the rate of violence or murder in that city. So even if you have a successful police department in terms of them closing cases, that doesn't seem to lead to less violence or less murders. Because that they're not incarceration is not the answer exactly and what's even more effed up and i can't help but think about it is there was a story from ky uh center for investigative reports in louisville a couple years ago and how the lmpd clearance rates on rape were basically complete fraud like they were clearing cases by something called exception so even though the rate of clearance was actually pretty good the reality is in the all these instances, the case wasn't resolved. The individual wasn't ever uh, brought to justice, so to speak. So even those rates are pretty problematic to begin with. So it's just one example after the other. So what happened to Herman? Nothing. He's not even considered a person of interest. He's never been, I mean, nothing. There was nothing. There was never an arrest. There were, there was never, um, like to my knowledge, like, I mean, and I really looked, you know what I mean? Like there were very few articles. There are very few YouTube stories. There's, there's a handful of podcasts and like nothing happened to my knowledge to Herman. He's like walking around in San Francisco. If he's still alive today, like it's the what's happening and what continues to happen to BIPOC folks is ridiculous i just watched a 2020 over the weekend about a series there was a serial killer in north carolina and this person was targeting black women oh yeah targeting black women yeah and there were i think it was at the 10th or 11th person that they start thinking when they're they happen at the same place oh these might be connected oh it's well and, and it was, yeah. I knew within 10 minutes of watching it when they said the first, like, oh, and the manager was such and such name and they all worked at this fast food place. I'm like, he obviously. did it. Obviously, yeah, obviously. He did it. And also, like you were saying earlier, we Evelyn was let down because, I mean, you can't help but think that maybe Herman knew. Maybe Herman knew that, like, her missing, her five-year-old missing wasn't gonna matter enough to the people in power for it to get the attention that could actually jeopardize or risk him being held responsible all right well we will be back next week and uh see you guys later 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed are strictly our own and not that of anyone else, including our employer or anyone who employs us. We hope that this pod sheds light on issues that perpetrate a culture of violence towards women, trans people, people of color, and black people, and other people that are oppressed and experience oppression. In an effort to make the post-Roe world a safer and more rad place for everyone, or almost everyone, most everyone.